In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. The Bible warns us that the sluggard justifies his laziness, claiming that there's a danger around every corner, like a lion. That's Proverbs 22, verse 13. But the Bible also tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 through 13, that we are actively called to expose the deeds that are done in darkness, even those dark deeds that are done by unbelievers. Continuing on, discernment, therefore. In biblical terms, it's not primarily a supernatural spidey sense that tingles every time something you know bad is about to happen and it only is accessible to those especially spiritual Christians. No, in biblical terms, discernment is simply the ability to understand what the threats of our time are and to practically apply biblical principles to them. So today's episode is this, three tools for judging conspiracies. Three tools for judging conspiracies. And before we begin this conversation, uh, the first thing that I think is in order is simply to introduce the crew. So. Hey, Joel, really glad to be here. Really excited for this. My name is Michael Belch. I'm a a member at uh, Joel's church and I teach for an online classical school, Logos Online School. And, uh, you know, a fellow red pillar and believer in conspiracy theories. <laughs> right, right. Amen. Except the only difference is we're trying to follow that red pill with a Christ pill yep, and absolutely. not, you know, the black pill and disparage. You know what we need? So. We need the pill that's actually the do something about it pill. The do something. Yeah. Amen. I don't know we're what color that, that is, yep. but we need that color of pill. Amen. That's great. Here we go. Yep. So my name is Wesley Todd, uh, Christian. I'm also a husband, father to two children, one of them just born last month. So God's really blessed our family. Uh, work a regular corporate job, uh, nine to five in health research. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and start the conversation. Three tools for judging conspiracies. And like Michael said, I think the first thing that we should admit is, um, well, at least over these past few years, the difference between a conspiracy and the truth is approximately three yep. to six months. Yep. So we we are not you know going to sit here and lecture you from an ivory tower of sophistication, saying I can't believe you blue collar flyover country Neanderthals believe in conspiracies. No, we we believe yep. in a lot of conspiracies because it turns out uh, there are wicked people in the world, and sometimes wicked people actually organize together in darkness to accomplish wicked things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And uh, what's, what's, I I think what is particularly difficult is admitting that you live in a time where things are bad enough that some of these conspiracies might be true. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, when I was thinking about BLM stuff and was this orchestrated behind the scenes, COVID stuff, is this orchestrated behind the scenes? The biggest thing for me was getting to the point where I had to admit the society and nation that I love has descended to the point where lying is not just expected, it's incentivized. Right. Right. And being dishonest and hiding and power plays of this sort is something that can yield a lot of power, a lot of money, a lot of influence. And because of that, 
it's more likely than not that these sort of conspiracies and plots are going on. Yep. And there's been so much propaganda, too. So with the amount of information, the speed that it travels with, uh, if you work a white-collar job, you're getting bombarded with propaganda. Diversity right. is our strength. Yep. Love is love. Right. Just just given to you as like, this is fact. Accept it. Why would you even think to question it? Are you some backwoods, hillbilly? And so you, bombard, you are bombarded with any type of social media daily, mm-hmm. on a daily basis with things that you should believe um, to much greater degree than previous generations had to deal with. They didn't have to right. deal with that level of information control and bombardment. Right. Yep. The you're you're constantly um, the social media, and then of course the longhouse department HR. Um, <laughs> you know, with all the school marms that are you know constantly telling you to be moral, to be moral, to be moral, and to be moral is you know whatever the reigning dogma of that moment is. Indeed. And diversity, you know, is is a big one. And you know, with diversity, um, you know, I preached on this even just this last Sunday, but um, diversity is not our strength, especially when it comes to uh, diversity. Of of lies or polytheism mm-hmm. or plural yeah. like that's the whole idea principled pluralism. Well, w- well, wait a second. If there is a transcendent truth that reigns above all the like God be true though every man yeah, were yeah. a liar right. So if if the word of God is true and there is a transcendent universally absolute truth standard, uh, then principled pluralism just means we're going to have this true transcendent standard. And we're going to have a bunch of other things that are other than true. You might call them deceptions. And we're going to call that a strength? No, that's just called compromise. Uh, I would much rather have a monolithic um, organization or society that, that all ascends to one truth, provided that that one truth is, in fact, true. The idea that we all have compromising convictions and beliefs and and a different standards and, and weights and measurements for what's even a virtue or what's a vice, uh, this is not um, our strength. Uh, diversity is our strength was just uh, rhetoric that, that has been used by some of our overlords um, in order to pollute our nation. And I'm not even speaking about ethnicity right. um, yep. or, or even immigration in a literal sense, but the immigration of ideas. ideas. I'm talking about Marxism. I'm talking talking about false doctrine coming into the church. Yep. I'm talking about BLM. I'm talking, you know, and, and, and immigration. Yep. Because Do let's agree. be honest, it's yeah. it's a full blown invasion. You, you cannot you cannot bring people in without bringing their ideas, right? And I remember hearing a podcast recently. We live in Texas, and the guy was saying that 2023 was the most favorable year for um, pro Muslim policies in mm-hmm. Texas history. Wow! And it's not that we want to hate Muslims, mm-hmm. but the Muslim worldview and the Christian worldview are diametrically opposed. Yes. And it seems like, to your point, there is a concerted effort to uh, take many different steps that all combine to water down solid Christian Western um, values and worldview. Mm-hmm. And um, when that collapses, then anything can go. Right. Then anything can go. Right. And, and even basic competency, too. That's where it almost can feel like a conspiracy, because it's actually the things we share that make us most able to pursue, pursue a harmonious life. When you share language, yes. when you share a place, when you share values, when you share a calendar, when you share religion, those actually sharing those things is what enables distinct people groups to actually pursue what's good and right. And so you see, almost feels concerted, almost feels deliberate to say, no, 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 uh, all of these different groups, uh, that's what makes us strong. 
Mm-hmm. No, it's not you guys speaking the same language, pursuing a shared goal in right. physics or mathematics, this side or the other. It's uh, being diverse in Which every the, dimension. Yeah, and that's the opposite. It's funny because that's the opposite of, of Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. Because mm. God, it's not just man. They, yep. they don't just say, look, look, we can do whatever we want so long as we say, stay united. In the same way that like in Genesis 1 and 2, you know, Adam formed before Eve. He's the only human being on the planet. Adam doesn't notice his aloneness, but God takes note of it. And God says it's not good for the man to be alone. Likewise, in a similar fashion, in Genesis 11, it's not the people congregated together who are building this tower to ascend to the heavens that take note of themselves and say, if we stay together, if we you know, continue mm-hmm. to unite, nothing is impossible for us. But God actually says, let us go uh, down and confuse our languages, yep. for if they remain united, nothing will be... So hmm. God even takes note of the power of unity. Yeah. In, w- among his image-bearing creatures. And and just for the record, I don't know, I think the two of you both agree with this. Uh, we've had some offline discussions, you know, our men's night with the church and stuff like that. Um, but I, I'm of the persuasion that, that Babel uh, was not uh, a, a curse. I view no, absolutely Babel... absolutely not. Okay. So I view no. Babel as like the original dominion mandate given in the garden pre-sin. So in a prelapsarian world is to be fruitful and multiply. And that the natural implication of that is that Adam and Eve would not congregate in the garden because they would multiply so fruitfully, so successfully that they would have to spread out over the face of the earth with image bearers of the living God, aka worshipers, because this is a, a pre-fallen world. So they would be their hearts bent towards Towards God, bent towards heaven, and they would um, also expand not only their posterity, um, their descendants, but also Adam in working and keeping the garden, both uh, defending it in the keeping aspect, but working it. Uh, that working would include expansion and increase, so they would uh, cover the whole earth. Uh, with a a garden city of the Lord, this garden paradise, and fill it with image bear, bearing worshipers of the triune God, and and that was so. So my point is the dominion mandate. I think it 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 necessarily. I think you could say it's a necessary inference. If you multiply successfully, you can't all live on one square mile Correct. with a billion people. So so what were they going to do? They were geographically going to spread. Out and in the spreading out, Stephen Wolf even talks about some of these things, and I think he's right. Uh, in spreading out, when they spread out really far, like different continents, eventually, um, you know, it, it may be a hundred years before we go back and visit great, 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 great granddad Adam, right. you know. And so, we've been over here for you know 150 years and haven't gone back to the mainland in quite a while, haven't visited, and oh, we didn't even really notice, but. There's uh, some different dialects starting to emerge, and some different Cold, cultures. Dress differently. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like like we have a lot of Germans in in our area of Texas where we live that all came over, you know, as as refugees, you know, escaping uh, World War One and World War Two, and so now it's like on the third and fourth generation. And it's funny because we have a, a family in our church uh, that actually are from Germany, uh, um, but like, like they moved generation. here. Exactly. They moved right. here like a year ago. And so they're like full-bred Germans. And and they even are able to notice that if they go up to Fredericksburg, for instance, which is a totally a German town, um, if they talk to any of, of, hear anyone talking in German in that town, these fourth generation descendants, they're like, you don't speak German the way we do. Hmm. It's a different dialect and it, and yep. even some of the words we've we, we we just have different words and so so that would my point is you would have had different nations you would have yep. had different nations different groups different languages different cultures probably different flavors of food all those kinds of things but all christian oriented yes. right because we're not saying all yep. cultures are equal 
Some cultures are better than others. Cultures that say, hey, you should show up on time are better than cultures that show up three hours late. That's just a fact. That's not racism. That's just a fact. That has yep. to do with respecting people. It comes from love for neighbor. It comes from the Christian worldview. But you could have cultures, I think hypothetically, we could presuppose equal cultures morally that still have distinction. Equal doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the same. They could be equally committed to the Christian worldview, the triune God, but have different flavors in their food. I'll do, I'll do you one better, Joel. I believe that Babel was necessary, mm. that, the, that the development of language was necessary. I teach language. Um, that's my day job. And as I've looked at Babel and Pentecost and then the scene of those gathered around the throne where it says uh, men from every tribe, tongue, and nation— and as I've studied uh, a variety of languages, and uh, I've realized there are certain concepts that one language communicates better than another language. Mm, yeah. For instance, Russian does not have a direct object. Mm, so wow. you cannot directly translate when Jesus says, I am the way, mm. the truth, and the life. So it's a little bit more difficult in Russian to communicate the exclusivity of Christ. Mm. However, you look at other, other languages are going to be able to communicate something unique about God that a different language could not. And I think when we gather around that throne, the myriad of languages, human languages that are spoken, will serve to illustrate facts about God that will mm. even marvel other humans who spoke other languages and hold up that jewel of God's holiness in a way that a single language would not have been able to do. I completely agree. And it's funny, though, that you say that because I just saw on Twitter yesterday someone who I don't even remember his name. Mm. Um, but if I did, his name is not of consequence. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. But he was arguing with a Christian nationalist uh, who was making kind of the similar point that we're making now that Babel was not a judgment. It was a judgment, but it was not a curse. It was actually discipline. Yeah. It was God getting man back on track, right? So in the garden, the dominion mandate, be fruitful, multiply, that would have uh, included necessarily uh, expansion over the whole face of the earth and in expanding over the dialects, languages, cultures, everything we've just established. Well, well, man was disobeying God. That's what they were yep. doing. So they, they were uniting, and unity is good, but the problem is they literally say, let us uh, unite here, build this tower, not only to ascend to the heavens, to be as God, uh, but to make a name for ourselves, so for our own glory rather than the glory of God, and so that we will not be scattered over the face mm. of the earth. So, so we're doing this so that we won't um, have to obey. We won't have to do the very thing that God actually has called us to do. So when God comes and confuses their languages, which causes them to disperse, um, it's actually not a curse. Um, it's not punitive as much as it is disciplinary. It's actually a mercy. Uh, yeah. It is a judgment. It, it is a punishment of sorts, but not punitive as much as it is like the rod for a child, disciplinary, because it's actually getting, it's, it, it, um, it's it's being used as a catalyst, and that's the mercy component, yeah. uh, because their sin should have cost them centuries. But in God's mercy, he throws in this supernatural catalyst to get them back on the obedience track much more quickly than they otherwise would. And so back to the, the Twitter thing, this you know somebody was making essentially that point, and this guy on Twitter was saying, uh, a, a Christian guy, Reformed Baptist guy, uh, a pastor, but he was saying, uh, no, in heaven, we'll all speak the same language. And the guy countered and said, which one? Which mm. one's the best? Like, are we all speaking Hebrew? Is it Latin? Is it English? Right. Is it Spanish? Yep. You know, who wins out? Who's superior? Um, whose language was uh, was the most moral? 
you know, and, and basically, yep, yep. you know, asking that, like, and I don't think we will all speak the same language. I think every tongue, now I think, I think God will probably throw us a bone and we'll be able to um, understand other people's language, whether that's supernatural or just with sin and um, sin being removed and, and, you know, glorified bodies, glorified minds. Um, I'll be able to pick up fluent Spanish, you know, in, uh, in a couple of weeks, you know, instead of, you know, years, but, but one way or the other, I think I'll be able to understand everybody. Uh, either immediately, supernaturally, or relatively soon with a glorified mind. Um, but I don't think I'm going to understand everybody because uh, God just gives us one language. Right. I think the whole idea is that there are other tribes, other other tongues, other cultures, and other skin pigment. There will be yep. different shades, different colors. Yep. And that's okay. That's great. That's better than okay. It's good. It's wonderful. And getting to conspiracy theories, that's some of the lie of globalism. So we're going to exactly. subsume all these different cultures and these particularities that are good and right, and they demonstrate the glory of God, uh, his power in making humanity, we're going to subsume them all into a giant consumerist, androgynous glob. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting because it doesn't have to necessarily be a cabal of eight of the most powerful people that have just unilateral, I say goes no matter if I'm in Switzerland, right. like a certain economic forum, <laughs> uh, they could say something and it happens in Texas. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily need to be, but when there are tons of different groups and they hate God, right. they can come together and say, you know, globalism, that sounds like a pretty good idea. We can, for one, we can take everything, we can rent it out on a permanent basis, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy to not mm -hmm. own anything. Right. And the image of God that, like George Orwell, he talks about it, 1984, he says, imagine a boot on the face of mankind forever and ever. Mm. That's propaganda. That's globalism. That's the continually rewriting of history. And that's what globalism is, a boot on the face of man and saying, let's subsume and homogenize all of these different things that God made yeah. for the right. purpose of money. And again, yeah. not again, are people literally coming together and scheming, twiddling their fingers in the back? Yeah, maybe. I think probably. <laughs> yeah, are we'll they very good at it? But, but I don't think so. But, but is that a necessary uh, requirement? I think that's your point. So, yep. are people are, are there eight guys in a room doing this? Um, I actually lean towards yes. However, and we'll get to that. Um, but your question, I think, is larger than that. You're saying, but does sin uh, require yes. a cabal? And the answer is no. Nope. Not um, the reality is if because Jesus said he um, he he did not entrust himself to men for he knew what was in the hearts of men um, and and I think of uh, it's either first or second Peter that says um, sin it uses this phrase sin which is common to man yep. uh, the reality is that people are unique tribes and tongues and language are unique and yet in one sense people are very similar and yeah. one of those ways in which we are similar is when it comes to sin uh, greed is a pretty universal temptation, right? Yeah. Power, yeah. Um, well, power is not inherently wicked in and of itself, but uh, abuse of power uh, for self-gain, yeah, domination, domineering spirit, um, lust would be another one. Like there's, a, I mean, these kind of sins, especially if you're a pastor and you do pastoral counseling, then there, there comes a certain point where nothing really surprises you anymore. It's like, you know, somebody comes and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, it's uh, it's either marriage um, um, problems or it's lust or it's uh, greed or it's slothfulness or, you know, it's one of these, yeah. you know, right. it's it's nobody's that that unique of a snowflake, you know, I'm just, no, no one else is like me when it comes to the, the topic of sin. And so all that being said, if you have a system like globalism that, uh, that would at least uh, uh, appear to satisfy right. 
yeah. the, the need for power and greed, just taking two, two sins, power again, not a, not a sin, but the abuse of power and greed, and it would satisfy, it's a system that would satisfy that for not, see, and that's why, you know, in some sense, I lean away from the eight guys in a room, because that actually would work, globalism would work out for a lot more than just eight guys. Which is part of the reason why it, we've been successfully prodded along in that direction, because there there actually is an incentive for enough people, not just eight people, but a lot of people, uh, to where everybody, without having to have some global summit in Switzerland, uh, they can all instinctively just know, yeah, I want that. Oh, shipping more jobs overseas? Yep, I'm for that. Yeah. Oh, yep. Uh, uh, more more of this, less trade tariffs, less you know whatever. Oh yeah, I'm for that. It, it's viable. I'm in. This, yep. this serves me. It doesn't yeah. have to be. It serves yeah. me. It serves me. Like Jeff Bezos is is an example in terms of uh, not necessarily he's a part of the Illuminati or anything like that. Although uh, who knows? But my point is, uh, you know, it's been said Jeff Jeff Bezos earned his first billion, uh, but was handed his second. Mm. And yeah. uh, and and of course that that's you know it's a generalization. So there, there, you can poke some holes in that. But the sense is like there is a real sense in which the dude you know was collecting things in his garage and shipping them. Uh, in, you know, right. in the good yep. old days, Bookstore. the early days, uh -huh. and 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 did work hard, right? And, and uh, may, maybe he could have been more fair with this or whatever, but he did work. Um, but when COVID happened, uh, that second billion, I mean, it doubled Amazon's yeah. uh, Amazon's footprint. Yeah. Um, and and why? Because uh, because COVID and the regulations, the levers that were pulled by politicians during uh, that time, shut down every brick and mortar mom and pop in person store. Yeah. To where now. Um, Unless you were already there, unless you had already arrived at at the uh, the capital and a system and the organization and the ability, the viability to just ship everything from a warehouse without having to have interaction with people, where you can have a guy drive a truck, you know, and wear gloves and drop off a box. Unless you were already there and Amazon was already there, then you could not compete. And so Amazon, for the last three years until very recently, had no competition, um, and so they earned uh, their first billion. And uh, and we're handed the next. And so the, the, my point is, if you're Jeff Bezos and they're talking about it's 2020, they're talking about COVID regulations. Are you for them or against them? Right. Mm. Now you might be for them because you know, and and everything in your rhetoric, you know, publicly, you're saying, well, it's because of physical safety, and I don't want grandma to die, and blah blah blah. Um, but but do you have um, at least the the potential of an ulterior motive? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. F Pfizer stood to get so many billions. Like whatever mm. drug manufacturer made it to the point where they had an approved COVID vaccine, billions and billions of dollars, years worth of operating expenses. So even that factor alone, not attributing any malice, anything I don't know, even right there, you already, you don't have incentive or you have the incentive to be like, yeah, it's safe. Let's right. get this trial done. Yep. Oh, they died, but I, mm, right. maybe we could attribute it to that. Right there, just on money alone, greed in the heart of someone, just seeing like, because the governments were going to pay for it. Governments all over the world were lined up, ready to give and ship cash to these people. Yep. So there didn't have to be a group talking about, let's get something lethal. They didn't have to. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Uh, greed alone explains um, things like that. Right. It explains it for the companies. And then to go one step further, it also explains it in terms of legislation for the politicians if... There happen mm -hmm. to be several politicians that are invested in Pfizer. 
Person speaking fees, right. consultancy <laughs> like, fees. Oh, oh, I, I see. So all, all that being said, we, and we got to cut to a commercial real quick, but all that being said, that gets us into our three tools for judging con, uh, conspiracies okay. is one of the questions you should ask when you're considering a conspiracy is, is there enough people in the world with sin, as Peter says, which is common to man, that would stand to gain in their fleshly you know, desires if uh, this thing right. panned out? Right. And and if the answer to that is yes, there's a ton of people with with this common uh, sin that's common to man that uh, that if this thing were true, it would it would fulfill their fleshly desires, not just for eight people, but for a lot of people, or maybe it is eight people, and in that case, those eight right. people must be very powerful people. Um, and if you can answer that question, yes, then I think that is a conspiracy that might be worth some time exploring because it really does stand a chance of being true. So we'll come right back, uh, but let's go and cut to a quick commercial. The danger of centralized power is often represented by the word king. As Americans, we hate the word king. Civilian ownership of body armor is about helping people to have increased power to resist tyrants and criminals. And so, Armored Republic is about helping you to preserve your God-given rights to the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the King of Kings, and He governs kings and He will judge them. This is Armored Republic, and in a republic, there is no king but Christ. We are free craftsmen, and we are honored to be your armor spread of choice. Finally, a coffee company that doesn't hate you and your beliefs. Today's sponsor, Squirrely Joe's Coffee, is a thoroughly Christian company that ships seriously good coffee straight to your front door. Owned and operated by Joe Morris and his family out of Olney, Illinois. They believe that Christians should be building a thoroughly Christian economy by doing business with other like-minded Christians. Just go to squirrelyjoes.com and use promo code RRM for 20% off your purchase. Squirrely Joe's Coffee. Share coffee. Serve humbly. Live faithfully. All right, we are back. Uh, so let me just take a moment before we hop back into our discussion about judging conspiracies rightly from the Word of God. I want to give you guys a little bit of just the vision for this show. So the idea is that we're going to be live streaming, doing this show every single week. So our, our flagship show that we've called Theology Applied, where I interview somebody and they're piping in remotely, uh, guys like Doug Wilson or whoever, Brian Sauvé, um, that's going to continue, but it's going to move from Tuesday, which is historically where we've had it, to uh, being on Mondays. So all we're going to have three shows a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, all at 4 p.m. Central Time. So Monday will be Theology Applied, the interview that I do remotely with someone. Every Wednesday, 4 p.m. Central Time, is Theology Applied, the live stream. That's what we're doing right now. And it's going to be me and Wesley Todd and Michael Belch every single week, Lord willing, at 4 p.m. Central Time. And part of the reason we're doing this, the strength of, of the live stream, is you know we've got the guys not just piped in remotely, but in person, in the studio. Um, it allows for a more natural conversation, but it also, by being a live stream, it allows for us to hit some general topics. That's Today would be an example of that, how to judge a conspiracy, right? We could do that this week or next week or next week or next week, and that's kind of evergreen. It's, it's always going to be relevant. Um, but uh, the idea for the Wednesday show is that at least, you know, 
part of the time, probably about half the time would be our goal. Um, we're going to, you know, we might have something on deck notes and, and planned out, plotted out an episode. That's an evergreen type thing. Um, but we're going to drop it last minute because boom, something that's relevant for Christians just hit the news the day before. And because we have a live stream, we can address it, um, in a, in a quick, uh, fashion. Whereas Theology Applied, the interview, which now will be on Mondays, and the Friday show, which is going to be called the Friday Special, Theology the special, uh, theology Applied, the Special, um, those are pre-recorded, most of those episodes. Um, and so this, the Wednesday opportunity with this live stream, uh, 4 p.m. Central Time, it gives us the opportunity to uh, to actually address things that might have happened just you know 24 hours before. So we will address some news cycles. Um, but at the same time, we're not going to sit here and pretend to be the Daily Wire, something that we're not, and something that in that case, we don't necessarily want to be. Um, you know, but we're, we're going to do you know, what, what we feel that we can speak to. So there may be a huge news story that we don't address um, because somebody else, you know, Tucker Carlson can address it better than we can. But there may be something else that drops. It's like, no, 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 no. No, the, the, this... Uh, we we've got something to say about the Bible has something very clearly, uh, and Christians yeah. need to know what's up. So all right. So all that being said, back to the conversation. Okay. Three tools for judging. So let's jump into. We've kind of alluded to it already, but the first tool that we are recommending, if you want to uh, discern and evaluate conspiracies, and that is, um, I think I said, uh, don't be an ostrich. Don't put your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. Don't be a bumblebee just jumping around from flower to flower. And, conspiracy to conspiracy. Yep, yep. Uh, have discernment, right? Mm-hmm. Have discernment. And the, I guess before we talk about discernment, I really want to stress a growing conviction that I have that we as Christians have an obligation to actually take our heads out of the sand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the times that we live in are times where um, virtue is not praised. and And so... Even before, with the remnants of Christendom, we had uh, men who perhaps valued honor and truthfulness and um, uh, honesty, and that is increasingly not the case. And so if Christians are not going to bring the truth to bear on society, no one else is at this point. Very few people are. And so as I thought about the bumblebee and the ostrich, uh, I, I had a special desire to say, we need to bring the truth. It is appropriate and Christian and part of our mission uh, of, of the Great Commission to teach our nations, mm-hmm. right? And part of that means teaching them what is true, teaching them how to discern truth, teaching them how to reject falsehood. And this really is part of Christian duty, not to put a tinfoil hat on, not to be uh, someone who um, is engaged in, I guess, in intentionally inflammatory conspiracies, but some of the things that are going on are inflammatory, are serious and are the sort of thing that um, needs to be talked about. It needs to be exposed. Yep. Yeah, the Christians actually have a biblical uh, obligation. It's a command to uh, not take part in the deeds done yep. in darkness, but rather expose, expose them. them. So we actually have a biblical command to expose um, conspiracies, but we also have a biblical command not to hole up in our home and say there's a line in the streets. Correct. Uh, that's what. Uh, that's not what the fearful person does. That's what the uh, lazy person does, and he uses fear and conspiracies as an, as excuse, an excuse to actually, you know, justify uh, the fact that you know really what's going on is he just he doesn't want to go out in the world and and do his job. Like there may be a man who is failing his obligations as husband and father. 
leading his family in family worship and and uh, being a faithful member in his local church uh, because he's online looking at all these conspiracies and he may you know he may use that verbose language and saying well but there's a lion in the streets and I've got to expose the lion and yep. blah 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 like it's like well um, yeah but but seventeen of those lions out of out of the eighteen are actually not real um, and uh, exposing deeds done in darkness uh, does not trump our other moral obligation, yeah. which is even higher, which is to um, to love our families and provide yeah. for our families, and protect yeah. our families. You wanted to say something, I think. Oh, it's just that's Paul in Second Corinthians when he intros his letter. He's like, "We commended ourselves to you as men of sincerity. Mm-hmm. We weren't peddlers of God's word. That's good. We didn't come to you with flash and with pomp. We tried to come to you with sincerity, bringing the word of God." And I'm certain he made sure to insulate himself to not be bringing, you know, sensational claims back from Jerusalem. He said, "No, we commended to our to you um, with honor," and that's a good good example. Yeah. yeah, really good. Michael, could you read some? You wrote down like some questions in preparation yep. for this episode. So this is still on principle number one. So if you're keeping count, let me let me just say all three of them real quick. But we'll finish on one, then we'll move to two and three. Uh, but all three of them, just so you know, principle number one, do not be gullible and do not be oblivious, but have discernment. Principle number two, focus on conspiracies that affect you and your family. That's so helpful. Yep. Focus on things that actually affect you at home. Uh, and then principle number three, learn to think. Logic, reason, yep. um, right? It's almost like number three is like uh, if you, you know, the old uh, illustration that's used a lot of if you know how to detect uh, the, a real dollar, then you can yep. you can find the yep. counterfeits. So again, principle uh, number one, uh, do not be gullible, do not be oblivious, have discernment. So the first principle, don't be naive, don't be gullible. Second principle, focus on conspiracies that affect you and your family, conspiracies that hit close to home. Yep. Third principle, learn to think, um, learn logic. And, and reason. So um, all that being said, still back with the first yep. principle about not being naive and gullible, you wrote down some questions. You said, here are some helpful questions that can help yep. Christians evaluate what they are being told, whether or not this should fall into the uh, fake conspiracy box or no, nah, something evil's really going on. Right. And one of the big aha moments for me, and actually, Joel, you said this a, a while ago, is that uh, be- it's it's okay and even good to use, as it were, common sense to root things out, right? And so these yeah. questions are not, you're not going to find uh, necessarily a Bible verse for them, but they are common sense and, and knowing the, the, the nature of man um, principles that will help us evaluate whether there's something to this conspiracy theory. So right. the first one is uh, what, what motives might be involved. And we kind of talked about this with Amazon or mm-hmm. Pfizer. Are there motives that could lead someone or a group of people to take advantage of right. the situation? Which doesn't guarantee uh, that there's something nefarious happening, but it says the likelihood yep. is higher. Yep. Uh, the second one is what larger, what larger pattern of events is going on? Um, does the emergence of, um, uh, or, or, or would an, an Amazon be incentivized to uh, have fewer retailers? Is there an election going on? Is there a resurgence of conservatism globally? Do we need to shut that down? Uh, is there a bigger pattern going on that this fits into? Mm-hmm. And uh, number th- so, yep. number three, uh, who is the one spreading the particular narrative? Who is the one spreading the particular narrative? Um, Read that, for instance. During for instance, COVID, during COVID, Amazon supported lockdowns, mm-hmm. Pfizer pushed vaccines. Did they stand to gain from those narratives? Yep, yep. This is not just some guy in his basement, um, 
you know, saying, oh, there's this virus. There were powerful players who stood to gain and were in some ways interconnected. Right. Um, so no. with whatever the latest, you know, big news is, who's pushing it? Yep. Um, what do they stand to gain yep. if if uh, what they're pushing actually turns out to be true? Yep. Um, what would they stand against? So if it's like, hey, uh, the bubonic plague is happening and everyone in the world is going to die um, unless you get the vaccine. Well, who's saying that? Oh, the vaccine company right. and mm-hmm. all the politicians that are invested in that vaccine right. and their stock. Okay, well, that again doesn't necess- necessitate right. that it's a lie, but it should, you know, that should ding our radar a little bit. And then what's the larger pattern? Um, well, it's, um, is it, uh, 2020 and it happens to be an election year with the most contentious president ever <laughs> you know uh, at least in the last you know 50 years the red and hot economy that a lot of people wanted to, wanted to see derailed yeah right because that yep. economy was going to be the horse that he was going to ride into yep. a second term like oh okay so that like that should cause you to to stop and and think a lot yeah. you know like yep. um that yeah that should cause you to now, Did after that. I wrote this, actually, Wes and I were talking, and we came up with the fourth one that, that okay. was so good that I wanted to share it. So I'm going to read it, but I want you to expand on it, yes. if you would. So the fourth the fourth way to evaluate, to have discernment, in our time in particular, okay, in our time in particular, is who or what is being mocked or laughed at. Mm. Because we live in a time, well, uh, when when righteousness prevails, wickedness will be mocked and laughed at. Right. But when wickedness and unrighteousness prevail— um, then evil men will will laugh at and will mock and will try and get you to have a feeling of revulsion for what is good and right. And so we feel like in this time that we live in, you need to look at what is being mocked, who is asking you to mock it, and where do they stand on the morality spectrum? And, and I think that you had some really good insights on that. Yes. Yeah, so a great example would be late night shows. So Stephen Colbert, John Oliver, they're very carefully, this isn't my insight, this is someone else's, yep. but they're very carefully programmed to give you a little snippet of facts, so 10, 20 seconds of information, an overview on the topic, and then it's some type of punchline. So if you have John Oliver talking about homeschooling, he gives like an example, you know, like a family doing a quirky, reciting the alphabet. And then he pulls up their example of the guy that they would hate, their coastal elites. This is the Midwest guy who pulled his children out of school because he's like, I don't like the instruction coming from teachers on sensitive topics that aren't appropriate for children, and just laughed at him. And it repeats over and over and over again, to the point that you should, you are being programmed, you are being instructed, it's being demonstrated, you should laugh at these people. Can you believe there are idiots out there not getting the vaccine? Go have your horse paste and die again and again and again. And so when you see like these people are being laughed at, you're being told by pundits, you're being told by news, mock these people, laugh them, hold, laugh at them, hold them with derision. Exactly. Wait, we live in a time that upholds wickedness and pushes down righteousness. So is what I'm hearing an actual mockery that should be coming towards yep. wickedness, or are they actually making fun of the righteous? Or at the very least, I was going to say to point two, uh, it's a lot easier to not jump in at first than to jump in and get yourself out. If you got COVID wrong and maybe shut down whatever it would be, your business or what have Church. you, repentance is the way out. And right. repentance is painful. God would rather obedience rather than sacrifice. And we can repent. We can get out of it. But it is a lot easier to just pause. Let's take a second. Hang on. Then to jump in, to want to be popular, to want to go on the march for BLM. And then later on, the videos are coming out and you've got to do the hard work of swallowing your pride and repenting of it. Right. No, that's really good. So so what's being mocked? Who's doing the mocking? Who's being mocked? Um, but then with that, I think uh, 
considering like degrees, you know? So it's like, uh, because you know, there's always going to be a late night show. Comedy is all, there's always going to be that in any society, any culture, there's going to be some kind of entertainment comedic, um, uh, you know, out, out, output. And so somebody's going to fulfill that role. But, but I think, you know, the question to consider is, um, are they making fun of the same thing in the same group again yes. and again and again? Mm. Um, are the jokes even good? Or is this like a comedic <laughs> guy who's who's literally not even making a joke? Yeah. Um, you know, like the, the blinking lights, you know, with his live audience are saying, laugh or we'll shoot you in the head. Laugh, laugh, dance, monkey, this dance. Funny. You know? Like, this <laughs> is funny, you will laugh. You know, like that's John Oliver. Like John Oliver hasn't made a joke in 20 years. Like that dude's not funny. You no. know, like, and so, so if it's like every single episode, you know, for three weeks straight, the audience is, you know, you, you, you can't see them, you know, but there's, you know, guys, you know, John Oliver's goons point, pointing guns at their heads, forcing them to laugh because it's not even funny, but it's, then it's like, okay, there might be something here, you know? What yeah. I mean? So I think it's like, you know, who, who's making fun, who's doing the mocking, who's being mocked, but also how desperate that that's what I'm getting mm. at is how desperate yep. Um, is this group and, and saying we've got about because it's one thing if you just do a one-off joke, right? But it's another if Saturday Night Live does a sketch yep. and then another sketch and then another sketch and because then you you might say either this is comedic gold. There's only a really again you know so getting them back <laughs> to motives. Just... This is either comedic gold or there's an agenda. Yeah, yep. And when the comedy that's hap air quotes uh, is aligning with the other three that we said. Is it aligning right. with the um, the seeming motives and narrative and things like that coming from government and big tech and all of these things? Now, all of a sudden, you, you start to see that the mockery is actually not so much to, the, the case has kind of been won by that point. It is to teach us how to treat those who disagree. Right. Um, well, that's what's so hard, I think, about conspiracies is conspiracies are, in our day and age, are going to be primarily pushed by media. It's going to yeah. be... It's going to be uh, Hollywood. It's going to be actors. It's going to be shows. It's going to be talk hosts. It's going to be you know. Uh, so it's going to be um, people in in media. And one you know, in asking that question of like, are, is it the possibility of a serious ulterior motive? Well, one serious ul- ulterior motive for media to push a conspiracy that, that uh, the conspiracy having something to do with danger, you know, or fear or uh, threat or what. Um, well, one constant ulterior motive that they have is if more people stay home, they watch more stuff. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, what yep. do people do during COVID? You think that, you know, I mean, like, how did that work out they for order Netflix? from Amazon and then you, yeah, watch, you watch order like Amazon screen. and you watch TV. Like, yep. what, you know? And so, like, whereas if everything's fine, if there is no line in the street, as Proverbs, you know, talks about, if there is no line in the street, you know where people go? In the, street. the street to work. Right. Yeah. They go to work. They go right. on, maybe they go on a cruise or a vacation. They yep. do something besides just watching uh, television. So the media, which is one of the chief um, groups responsible for pushing conspiracies, always has an underlining yep. uh, motive in pushing conspiracies that threaten people's safety because if people's safety is threatened, they stay at home and at home they consume media. Yep. You know, so that like, I think that's a constant thing that we're battling that there's, you know, there's always a sense. So it, you know, it always could be true, yeah. you know, it, it, on, on the motive basis. All right. So w- we should move on to okay. principle number two. Number two, 
uh, focus on conspiracies that affect you and your family and really specifically that affect the spheres of responsibility and duty that God has given to you. I don't mean just, you know, you and your two kids at home, you and your wife and your two kids at home, although that's a big part of it, but also, you know, you're called, if you're a man and you're out in the workplace, you're called the work. So if there's a conspiracy threatening to shut that down or your, your neighbor, your literal neighbor, right? So the conspiracies that affect your ability and your family's ability to carry out the duties that God has given to you need to be investigated first, because those, though we have to, we have to be honest, like when churches closed for more than a little while, that was sinful. Yeah. That conspiracy tricked otherwise up to that point, godly men and right. pastors and elders and deacons. As far as we knew. Yeah. And they bought into it and that caused them and their congregations to sin, mm-hmm. right? And so the, the the conspiracies that threaten to pull you from your duty of building God's kingdom, and I don't mean just in a spiritual sense, but of carrying out your duty towards God need to be investigated before who shot JFK. Right, that's yeah, yep. great, and that's a great example. Like there are a million different conspiracies you can get totally lost, you know, in YouTube or Reddit or whatever, I don't know, whatever the cool yep. kids are looking at today, totally lost and, and you know, waste your life. You can waste your whole life, you know, looking into the Illuminati or, the, you know, but the question is like, what's affected, you know, so with COVID and shutting down churches, it's like, well, my my wife and kids can't go to church today. Right. Okay, well, that's that's one to get to the bottom of. Um, BLM, I think, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, yep. um, uh, it, you know, I, I think that's worth looking at. Yep. If you work for a big company, and uh, and you're trying to provide for your family and leave generational wealth, right? A wise man or yep. a good man, Proverbs says, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Yes, that's a spiritual inheritance. Can be nothing less, but oh, I believe it is more. And so you're seeking to do that, and uh, you're getting constantly passed up at work, and you you start to notice. You can't help mm. but notice that the last ten guys that have been promoted instead of you all happen to not be white, or not male, or not heterosexual. Yep. Well, that actually does affect you. Not actually, yeah. and so to to be involved with that particular yeah. um, conspiracy of the DEI, you know, woke agenda. Yeah, that that actually that's not just uh, losing yourself in an obsessive capacity about something that's you know that's random, you know, or irrelevant. No, that actually is affecting you. Yeah. It's affecting your neighbor, yeah. and it's it's sure as heck going to affect your kids. If you got little white kids, <laughs> those little white kids. I mean, I you know I've got white kids, and they're not going to stand a chance if the world right. keeps heading the, the, the direction that it's going. Right. So like I'm encouraged when gay, like the uh, the uh, yeah, uh, professor, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is just perfect. I love that yeah. uh, her name's gay. But uh, you know, like I feel like with Andrew Isker, I wanted to, you know, the, the fake and gay of trash world is like, now you can just call it gay. It because yep. gay, the, the actual person, this, this you know, former um, head of Harvard, turns out is also fake and plagiarized. So fake and gay is really just gay. Uh, it's personified in a person and now has yeah. a picture. Uh, praise God. So it, it makes things easy. But the point is um, that you know, like when she was dethroned by like Rufo and all these, like I'm grateful for that yeah. because it's not just a random who shot JFK. It's... Mm. Um, uh, that that is a sign of of uh, truth winning the day. That's a sign of of advancement and uh, and productivity. That says my kids might actually stand a chance at getting into school. Uh, my kids might actually be able to get hired. Uh, that we might go back to um, uh, merit. Merit. Yep. And 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 merit um, is what Christians want because Christians, if they're faithful Christians, merit is our friend because we're not afraid of work. 
We, I want uh, merit because I plan to work hard at shaping my yeah. children like arrows, yeah. uh, to be sharp, to be straight. Um, and so merit is the friend of my children. Um, mm-hmm. Sinful partiality is not the friend of my children. Not virtuous. Mm-hmm. There's a strain too of evangelicalism. There's an influence of pietism in it, but it's very functionally Gnostic. So when we think about conspiracies that affect the body and the health, there can be a huge amount of putting your head in the sand. Just to give an example, uh, fluoride is generally added to the water supply, the FDA and the CDC. Uh, they would say like 0.7 milligrams is a safe amount. It's supposedly to prevent cavities. Well, fluoride is a neurotoxin. The Lancet, one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, is like, yeah, this is actually neurotoxic. Now, you can get a filter for your home. You can get a filter for your faucet. You've Look got up like if your city. I filter it at the garage. <laughs> I filter it at the sink. <laughs> run the cup through a sieve. No. Um, but if I was to tell you that and say, hey, this should be something to consider. You don't have a well. You're on city water. It somehow comes up. And you were to say, I don't care. That's dereliction if you're a father or even a mother to say, this could be affecting my kids. Uh, this could be a problem. And I don't even care enough to look into it. That's not even right. saying like you have to believe this, you have to take action, but hey, uh, this could be going on. And you say, we got to care about holiness, brother. We've right. seen that a lot recently. Of like, well, no, men shouldn't be strong or women shouldn't pursue beauty. Uh, we should just pursue godliness and holiness. Don't dress it, well, don't get guns, don't work out, don't like, right. why? Because, Give all your uh, money away. Yeah. Right, because your future is, your treasure is in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. but exactly. I, I also, um, I treasure Christ most of all. Uh, but I, that doesn't mean that I treasure nothing else. I treasure my wife also. Yeah. I treasure my kids also. They have to live here for a while. I have to live here, but my children, Lord willing, will live here even longer than me. Um, I, I remember, you know, when I, you know, well, I, I'll say it like this: um, Did you ever, did you ever meet that guy, you know, who, who, um, who was like kind of like a rough and tumble dude who had like, you know, tattooed, you know, uh, moderation is for cowards, <laughs> you know, like that <laughs> right, kind of. Right, right. Well, that's like sounds really good. And I had a season of life, you know, years ago where I thought, hey, that makes sense. And I get that. And, um, but then, you know, what one uh, Bible verse, and there's several, but one that just kind of breaks, breaks that notion is um, physical training is of some value. Yep. Right. And so like what I think the pietist does is they say um, that, that uh, personal practices of piety are of uh, infinite value, eternal value, and they are. Yep. Uh, but then they say, and by consequence, everything else is of no value. Mm. But the Apostle Paul doesn't speak in those terms. He doesn't say that, uh, that worldly things are of no value, but heavenly things are of ultimate value. In fact, the word worldliness, which is used in a negative sense, is, is a total different way than many of the Christian nationalists or post-millennial guys would be using the term today. When right. we say worldly, we're not talking about the boastful pride of life, the lust of the flesh, right. and the lust of the eyes. That's the way First John is speaking of, of worldliness. Uh, when we say uh, that we love the world, well, there's another guy who loved the world, John 3.16. For God so yep. loved the world, um, and 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 yes, that means people, um, but it also means the cosmos, His creation, which He said is good. And so we're saying, no, we care about the world, and we're not just going to give it away to our enemies because we have our pie in the sky somewhere yep. else. That's why we're losing. Yep. That's that's a major factor for why we're losing nihilism pessimism, um, all, all these things, which I think come from dispensationalism. I think it comes from premillennialism. I think it comes from, you know, pietism, it, it just this, uh, it's, it, we, we've got to shift from that. So all that back yeah. to the physical training, uh, the Bible, that's just one example. And there are others, but just one example, um, 
Paul doesn't say spiritual training is of infinite value and physical training is vain. Nope. Nope. Said the Bible never. Physical training, it's, and Paul admits it has, it has, uh, it is not comparable to spiritual training. It's not on the same uh, level. It's not. But that doesn't mean that it has no value. And that's, I'll be honest, that's hard. Uh, for me, because what I want to do is I want to pick the three things that that uh, matter most and do all of those things all and nothing time. else. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. not actually the way God constructed human no. life. There are actually a lot of things yeah. with triage, with like with varying degrees of value, and so it takes discernment and wisdom to live well in the world. And some of those virtues enable other virtues. Like that's I correct. want to, by God's grace, live a long life. To mm. be 80 years old and able still to see and to play with my great grandchildren, mm. I'm going to have to get into some off the beaten path material just to try to understand how to order my diet, not take the exercise advice that's all out there that's common. Uh, Andrew Isker's book, The Boniface Option, is a great source of him saying like, "Hey, you know, maybe fast food and the the double XL fries, baked in seed oil, uh, these aren't good for you. You're told that they are, but they're not. And if you want to live a good long life, which I think is a noble aspiration." Right you're going to have to go off the beaten path and take a little bit of ownership for it right. too. And the question is why? It's always That's why. Correct. So I want to live a long life. Uh, why? Because uh, my treasure is here on earth and I, I have no hope for after I die. Right. Okay, well, that's bad. Uh, <laughs> but if it's like, no, I want to live a long, like like I remember my dad telling me this, you know, and, and I've heard other guys say it as well, but I just, it was so, so encouraging. My dad, who who has been a faithful father and a faithful husband for decades and decades, um, I remember him saying, you know, Joel, one of my life goals is to outlive your mom. Hmm. And the reason why is so that he could care for her as she's dying. Wow, that's good. Okay, so the question is why? So if the why is, well, I just, I want to live forever, you know, and and attain to transhumanism and upload my consciousness to, you know, yeah. to M- Minecraft and walk around, you know, whatever <laughs> in the cloud, you know, right. like, well, okay, well then that's demonic. That's, that's yeah. stupid. But if it's, no, I want to live a long time because I want to play with my great grandkids and be able to disciple them yeah. and invest in their yeah. life. Or, or I want to outlive my wife so that I care for her as she's dying instead of her caring for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, well, pff, that's godly. That yeah. is that sounds, is piety. It sounds like how Paul said, "It's better for me to stay." Right for, for your sake, mm-hmm. for you, and because of that, yeah. uh, knowing that, I'm convinced that I will remain yeah. at least Amen. for a while longer. So th- those are good things. Same with money. So like right now, we're talking about uh, uh, health, but think about that. So here's part of the problem. I'll just say it, John Piper. Love him, um, and he has helped me tremendously. I learned so much over the years from John Piper. But I do think that there's a certain point where you can attack the prosperity gospel um, and it's so extremely that you actually embrace a, a poverty gospel. Right. And so, like, because what we've been talking about with the long life kind of thing and, and what food you eat and working out, physical training of some value, not no value, but some value, all that is in the health category, right? Well, you only need two more categories to complete the prosperity gospel lie, which really is a lie, <laughs> health, wealth, and, and you know, uh, healthy, wealthy, and wise, yep. you know, and... Uh, and, and yeah, like living for those things as the, the ultimate the end. end, yeah, is, is terrible. But, but, um, but wanting to be healthy is not inherently bad. And likewise, so if while we're at it, health and wealth, I think that's worth talking about as well. Like, are there actually uh, pious motives, godly motives right. for wanting to attain financial wealth in this life? I, the answer is undoubtedly yes. 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 And then power. Power is the same thing. Conservative, this is why we always lose. And Christians are, are Christians make conservatives actually look good with this, sadly. But uh, Christians actually think that the goal is, you know, well, the wicked 
are the ones who are exercising power. They're the ones who are you know doing this and doing that. And so what we're going to do is forsake power. Right. Theology of the cross. Yeah. I'm like, what? like this, you know, the theology of the cross, theology of suffering. It's like, yeah, that's part of the gospel stories. Take up your cross and follow me. That's part of the story. But it's like they forget that, like, gee, he was dead for 72 hours. That's it. And yep. now, now he lives forevermore. I mean, Jesus was dead for 72 hours. Yep. Then he took his life back up again. And not only that, but then was glorified yep. and ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty and said, even before his ascension, all authority yep. on earth and in heaven has been given to me. So he forsook power and authority unto uh, even unto death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2, right? Yep. The emptying of himself, not kenosis theology, but the emptying of himself, taking the form of a man and being willing to die, even death on a cross, a humiliating death, and, and all of that for approximately 72 hours. Yeah. And if we include, you know, the humiliation of Christ and his his earthly ministry and being mocked and those things leading up, his mock trial, then, okay, we, we could even say years. Okay, years, but then he he, res he rose from the grave, he took all power and authority back up and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's been doing that for 2,000 years. And he did those things in order to gain that, That's right. that okay. position and that uh, status and that And power. Paul even says it, who yep. would suffer with him if yep. not to reign, to reign with, with him? him? Yeah. Like, that's, that's part of it. And that yep. reigning, sure. Like, I can just hear the pietists watching, you know, saying, like, to reign, but not now, never here. Like, you reign spiritually. Later. Later, once you're dead, you reign in the 17th dimension where it doesn't matter. That's where you reign. Um, no. Uh, well, that will happen. That will happen. <laughs> and even then, it will actually It'll matter. Be it won't be the 17th yeah. dimension. It'll be having physical. come to earth. And, yeah. Right. But, uh, but we also reign now. Like you, you, good biblical theology that keeps with Christian history, that's not just a post war consensus that, that people came up with you know, 15 minutes ago, that kind of theology, it's going to include Polycarp. Um, and, yep. and, you know, being uh, eaten by lions or drawn and quartered, torn apart, beheaded, burned at the stake. Um, it's going to, the, the blood of the, uh, the you know, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed for the church. All that is true. If your theology does not include that, and even at some level rightly emphasize that, then you don't have biblical theology. Right. Um, but your theology must also, so we're not saying this instead of that as a substitute. We're saying this and that. Your theology must encompass a theology of suffering in the cross and the martyrs. You've got to be able to do something with 2,000 years of church history and martyrs. You also need to be able to do something with Constantine yep. and Charlemagne, Charlemagne and Richard the Lionheart yep. and Duke Gregory. And you've got to be, you know, all the other guys in Defenders of the West. <laughs> King uh, yeah. You've got to be able to do something with that too. Yep. Besides just condemn it as an ignorant libtard that's never read anything about the Crusades and just says, they're bad because someone told me they were bad, right. which is what we kind of all that's do. That's kind of a conspiracy. We kind of all do that until you red pill and you start yeah. actually reading Well, you think know, about right, history. 40 years of yeah. public schools, like the Crusades were bad. Yep. And and now that's just the zeitgeist. Oh, the Crusade, well, we have, you know, Muslim extremism, but we have Christian extremism too. And so really, same thing, we got to give up the power. If we overuse it, we could end up with the Crusades again. Well, hopefully, many aspects of it, like that would be a good thing to right. see um, Christianity established in Europe, in the West. Mm -hmm. Yep, and part of, part of it is the third wayism, where you make uh, you make two fallible individuals or parties or whatever, uh, you make them equally fallible. Right. When in yep. reality, it's not that simple. It's actually much more complex. Uh, there are multiple variables. It's a multivariant, you know, uh, s equation. And so, like you, you know, I remember. 
Tim Keller would do that with um, Democrats and Republicans. You know, Jesus isn't on the right, he's not on the left. Uh, but, and, and that's true in a sense. I mean, Republicans suck. You know, I, I, I say it like this, you know, we have two parties. One is way, made up of sinister, wicked men, and the other one is made up of, of uh, demons. You know, so that's Republicans, wicked men, demons. They're not even human at this point. That's Democrats. And so, you know, but they're both bad. But notice in my little, you know, funny illustration there, they're not equally bad. Right. Wicked men are still an improvement from spawn of Satan. Um, you know, and so um, what Keller, he didn't say this, but what it did often, he wouldn't necessarily explicitly say it, but what it did is a lot of people picked up that rhetoric and they decided, well, Jesus isn't on the right or the left. Uh, but then what they implicitly took from that is that Jesus is equally distanced from the right as he is from the left, mm. which means that both the right and the left are equally unbiblical, equally apart from uh, the way of Jesus. You can do that with the Crusades, right? So I, like, yeah. I, and reading about yeah. the Crusades, some of the later Crusades especially, um, some of those, I, th I think there actually were some sinful motives involved right. and, and there was you know ways where they, they, they really weren't keeping in with the standards of just war theory and those kinds, of, but a lot of them were, a lot of them. And so. Ones. Especially. It, the early ones, especially yep. when it's like the main reason they're going in is not just to capture the Holy Land, but it's to go and save Christian women that are being raped, you know, and like, and so, you know, and all, all their Christians that have been beheaded and they're, they're going to, you know, to exonerate them. And so all, all that being said, there were, um, there were sins on, because you're talking about two, you're talking about people. So in both cases, Muslims and Christians, they're fallible. However, the problem is one of the techniques is that people go and they'll say, well, well uh, both are fallible. And, and then implicitly, or sometimes just it's outright said, they're equally infallible. Right. Um, no, the Muslims and Christians were not <laughs> equally infallible. That's a joke. Right. Yep. Uh, the, the Christians were fallible men, uh, but many of them regenerate who love the Lord and yep. many of their leaders. And, and then many, the Muslims were terrible. Their entire fortunes. Yep. You know, yeah, literally gave it as up. an act. By the time they love, got to the war, yes, they had mm -hmm. given it yep. along the way to all these yep. villages and all. Yeah, yep. it's insane. Richard the Lionheart. I'm, I'm convinced he. You know, if they're, if they're, <laughs> if what we do in this earth, you know, uh, does accumulate rewards in heaven, and one of those rewards is is your seating distance from the throne, how close you get to be yeah. to Christ. Uh, Richard the Lionheart, I think, is going to be like front row seats, and I, so far that I'm, mm. I'm going to have to bust out binoculars just to be able. <laughs> hey, Richard, you know, because I'm going to be so far back. It. You know, I'm here too. Me and you, we both did it. You know, we both, did it. Yeah, you we had the heart it. of a lion. I had the heart of kind of like a domestic house cat, but, but the same kind of feline family. You know, so anyways. All right, so anything else on principle two, the things that affect your family? Because that was so good, Michael, to say, not all right, not just conspiracies in general, because there's a million of them. Yeah. So how do I narrow it down? Well, what stand the chance of being true? Because it's with powerful people that actually have an ulterior motive. That was number one. And then number two is uh, which conspiracy uh, is affecting my wife, right. my kids? Well, and that actually leads me to the part that's really going to get us in hot water here. But uh, interestingly, the first conspiracy that I can find in the Bible— conspiracy theory, I should say, is when uh, the serpent convinced Eve that the Godhead had conspired against her mm. to keep her from wisdom. Yeah, and good. she fell to that false conspiracy theory. Right. And so the last thing that I wanted to say about this point is sometimes the conspiracies that hit closest to home, whether there's actual harm and you need to guard against it, or this is a deceitful conspiracy that we're falling into, um, sometimes our wives are going to be the most prone to fall into those conspiracies, the, the lies that right. are told them uh, from the world. And so in the same way that husbands, we have a, an obligation to protect 
our wives and our families, we have an obligation to protect in this area as well, guarding them, keeping them in truth, instructing, um, listening to them. Yes, a woman's intuition is wonderful and inexplicable. And, and you know, there was one time when uh, my, my son had uh, a tonsillectomy and he was home. And just that afternoon, she said, we need to make sure we go to the store and get ice. Mm. Okay, go get some ice. She comes home. That night, his, his scabs split open and he's bleeding all over the place. The way to deal with that is to put ice on the back of the neck. And before that afternoon... We didn't have any ice in the after in the house, wow. right? You know, so there is a sense where woman's intuition we should we should listen to and heed, especially if you're married. But we have an obligation as men, as husbands, to protect from lies and to, right. and to help our families walk in truth. Amen. All right. Well, let's take a moment real quick, and then we'll pick up with the third principle, yep. which is um, one of the easiest ways to tell a counterfeit is you you familiarize yourself with the real thing. So learning to think, uh, using reason, using logic in a biblical. Uh, way. But real quick, let's go ahead and hear from our last sponsor of the day. Would you like to get control of your money and set up a system that will guarantee for the rest of your life tax-protected compounding interest and growth? How about having 24-7 electronic access to your money for funding wisely chosen investments, home improvements, and other large expenditures without going to the mainstream banks? This is not a dream, but it could actually be a reality when working with our sponsor, Private Family Banking. See their contact information in the show notes below. To make this season even brighter, Private Family Banking is giving away a pair of tickets, a $500 value, for the upcoming Blueprints for Christendom 2.0 conference, which is taking place on March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 2024 in Taylor, Texas. To enter the ticket giveaway, join their email list by sending an email to banking at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's banking at privatefamilybanking.com with the subject line of your email email saying tickets, then include your full name and mailing address in the body of the email. The ticket giveaway entry period will end at midnight central time on February 13th, 2024, and the winner will be notified via email on February 14th. You must be 18 years of age or older to enter, and only one email per person can be entered into this giveaway drawing. All right, so here we are. We're going to go ahead and land the plane now with principle number three. So if you've been with us this whole time, uh, three tools for rightly judging conspiracies. The first one uh, was don't be naive. Um, Look at motives. Does a group of people, powerful people, or enough people, just a lot of people, stand something to gain? Um, if they push this certain agenda, that might lend towards it, a uh, conspiracy being true. Number two was, uh, you know, you can give your whole life away uh, looking into a million different conspiracies, but we do actually have as Christians an obligation, especially as men, to uh, to expose the deeds done in darkness and to protect our wives and children. So the second principle when judging conspiracies is, does this conspiracy hit home? Does it affect me, my wife, my children? And then the last one, the last tool for rightly judging conspiracies is that we need to learn how to think, familiarize ourselves with um, with the authentic article, like a dollar bill, and then we'll be able to recognize the, the counterfeits. We need reason and logic. So. Yeah. I was really um, struck as I was reading uh, some of this book by Isaac Watts, which is just called Logic. And uh, he says in the introduction to his book, he says, um, logic or or reasoning, the ability to think is the cultivation of our reason by which we are better enabled to distinguish good from evil, 
as well as truth from falsehood. And both these are matters of the highest importance, whether we regard this life or the life to come. As it regulates our judgment and our reasoning, so it secures us from mistakes. Reasoning, logic keeps us from mistakes and gives us, this is startling to some of the the pietist, it gives us a true and certain knowledge of things. And it furnishes us with a method so that it makes our knowledge of things both easy and regular. It guards our thoughts from confusion. Hmm. And there was a, a way of ordering thought and life that emerged out of Christendom, which in and of itself was a safeguard in some ways against conspiracy, against false thinking, against error, of action and of thought that we frankly have lost. Um, and I think there's, you know, to, to jump into conspiracies, you think of the way that the United States public education system has devolved under Dewey and progressive methodologies since then. And of course it's designed to not teach us to think, to not teach us truth, to not teach us virtue, um, but to teach us to take what we're told and to have no ability to evaluate them or hold them up to to the light and discern them, whether they be right or wrong. Right. Part of what you're talking about right now is just being generalist. Uh, you yep. cannot be an expert at everything. You can be an expert <laughs> in one thing, maybe, if you're in- incredibly gifted and talented. And for the record, we need things. those. We need Christians who we are experts. experts in vaccinology or in right. monetary policy or in all of these things. We Because right now we don't have them. Yep. Um, and I'm not saying there's not an individual Christian out there that is an expert in a particular medical field. What I'm saying is that um, all of our experts, at least overall, have discredited themselves. Right. We don't trust them anymore. So right. we've lost the media experts. We've lost medical experts. We've lost uh, political experts. We, like um, from from uh, the White House, from from politicians yep. to uh, medicine to media uh, to uh, certainly academia. That would be another. Like at every single level, our institutions institutions are. You would expect the the premier leaders of institutions. That's where you'll find your experts. Um, and and all that is crumbling right now. Um, and so we, we do need institutions. I don't think a society, especially as large as ours right. is, uh, societies actually, you know, because there's a temptation in me as a conservative biblical Christian to just, you know, cheer on the destruction of our institutions because they're all so corrupt. So I'm glad that they're falling, and I really am. Um, but there's a, there's a hubris, I think, if the Christian's not careful to say, yeah, good riddance, we don't need Harvard. No, right. we, we need a Harvard. Yeah. We need institutions. Like, I'm grateful for... Nate Fisher and Josh Adam, you know, Attaboy and those guys that are like um, Abatoy, sorry, <laughs> Attaboy. Uh, those guys who are, you know, building institutions like right. New Founding, they're working on, that's why we're, you know, even with right response, it could just be um, a webcam and, and it's just Joel, you know, like you don't have to build a team. You don't have to invite other people on. You don't have to have a ministry name and, and you know, and actually have, you know, all, all you know, I have a board with right response that holds us accountable and um, you don't have to do all that. Why, why do that? Why not just, you know, I mean, a phone is powerful enough. Yeah. I can just put my phone up and record videos and drop them on Twitter. But what I'm trying to do is build an institution uh, because we need institutions and institutions traditionally carry a sense of trustworthiness, credibility, yeah. and that actually, that instinct is right. It's yep. actually uh, not good for society, the place that we currently rest, where yep. institutions right now, when you hear the word institution, your first in- inclination is distrust. That's not a good thing. That's, yeah, not, that's, that's not winning. Exactly. That's massively problematic. But right now, though, I think, so yes, let's rebuild institutions, Christian, biblical institutions, but we also do need every, that your every man yep. 
Your everyday uh, Christian does need to be a generalist. He may never be an expert in any field, uh, but he should be able to be a generalist who, who generally knows logic, knows reason, knows how to think. And, and that does apply to something, just to bring it home to a practical example, something like COVID. I remember you know, people, and this was Christians, you know, arguing with me mm-hmm. like, well, you're not an expert. You're not an epidemiologist. And I remember saying, well, I don't have to be, because yep. my argument isn't on the basis of epidemiology. Um, my argument, and and you know, here's how I, how I know I was right. Well, I've, I've known I was right for three years, uh, but but if it wasn't apparent enough, it became you know very apparent when Francis Collins, right. who mm. was supposed to be an expert and a Christian, just recently came out and said, "Whoopsies." You know, so, you know, we missed a few things. And then he goes on to listen. You know, we were looking at like uh, densely populated cities like New York. You know, we weren't thinking about how this would affect, you know, a rural place. But everything that he says are things that I was saying in April of 2020. Um, you know why? Because you don't have to be Francis Collins. You don't have to be an expert in a particular field to realize those things because they're no-duh things. Yeah. We need some more no-duh Christians. Yeah. And I think that's what a generalist is. A generalist is able to just look at the... It could, we could be talking uh, plagues, you know, um, or wannabe plagues, you know, or, or we could be talking politics or we could be talking academic, but a generalist is able, uh, he's just got a good BS detector. He's able to just in general say, "Eh, no, that's dumb. That's dumb. Why? Well, why is it dumb? You're not an expert on this. Well, it's dumb for these very practical reasons. People will be trained by some institution. It's not like, well, we can have these institutions and, or we could not. And people could be taught to be think, think the wrong way, or they could be neutral, or we could do the hard work of teaching them. And C.S. Lewis, he does a great job in Abolition of Man, because he points out how modern textbooks, when they say, don't say the waterfall is beautiful, say, I simply perceive the waterfall is beautiful, you're dumbing man down. And then he says, when the propagandist comes, the hard heart dulled to nature and to natural affections and to seeing beauty, and a soft head hasn't been trained in rigor, he says, it's going to stand no chance. Yeah. You dumb man down, you abolish him, you create men without chests, and then the propagandist comes along, and he is ripe for the taking. He's going to take him right along. So someone's going to train people how to think. They're going to come out, and they're going to reach 18 years old, and they'll be taught some way, somehow from someone, how to think to a better, to a lesser degree. Why not be us? Why not be Christian parents, Christian schools, Christian churches that do that education? Amen. Yep. Completely agree. Well, any final thoughts as we go ahead and land the plane? Only well, thing I'll say one. is, hopefully, I'm putting Nathan on the spot here, but maybe in show notes, if we do that, or in in the YouTube, we did we did come up with some resources that might train in thinking better. Because let's be honest, um, all of us uh, are in a situation where even the best and brightest are not nearly the thinkers that the men of previous generations were. And so right. all of us need training. All of us need help in this area. Yes. And so uh, we did kind of, I, I researched yeah, a couple of, read of them good. Okay. And we'll see if we can put okay. them in the description. So a couple of books, the one that I just re- mentioned now, uh, Logic, The Right Use of Reason in the Inquiry After Truth by Isaac Watts. Uh, another one, it's not training on logic, but it is on, on understanding ideas. It's called The Consequences of Ideas, Understanding the Concepts that Shaped Our World by R.C. Sproul. And then there's a, a video series by Greg Bonson called Critical Thinking and Formal Logic. It's, it's long. It's 19 <laughs> episodes on YouTube. Awesome. Um, so those are the three that I'll, I'll mention. 
Awesome. Super helpful. And uh, one last component. So, you know, we're, we're doing three shows a week, Lord willing, starting now. This is our first week of the new year, but that's the goal for 2024 and moving forward is uh, Theology Applied three times a week with three different formats. Theology Applied, the interview on Monday. Uh, and that's kind of the, you know, what, what you guys who've been following us have seen, you know, where somebody remotely comes in. So that's on Monday at 4 p.m. Then Theology Applied, the live stream. And that's going to be every week with Michael and Wes, Lord willing. Um, the three of us, that's a live stream, 4 p.m. on Wednesdays. And then Theology Applied, the special. And that's where I also have two guests, but guys, the, the special will be uh, quarterly seasons. Um, and so I've got Andrew Isker and A.D. Robles um, this Friday will be the first episode. And so that'll be awesome. uh, quarter one for January, February, and March. And then I've got Brian Sauvet and Ben Garrett for Q2. And then I'm lining up guys you know, for yeah. Q3 and Q4. And the special is going to be you know, eight to 12 episodes on one singular topic going deep. The, this Wednesday is going to be a, a, you know, one topic just for the week. And then we move on. In some cases, though, we may have something that's like, all right, we're gonna, this is going to be a three-parter you know, or a four-parter. And we, you know, a little bit of a deeper dive. But again, one of the strengths of the Wednesday live stream is it's not just the same two guys for eight to 12 episodes, but Lord willing, it's it's us three guys for the course of this whole year. And right. Lord willing, we'll see what comes next year and, and, and continuing. And so building some rapport, building a relationship, practicing, getting better. This is our first one. So yep. we'll get better for you guys who are watching, um, but but getting better. And uh, but then the live stream also by it being a live stream not pre-recorded, it allows us to hit uh, big world news items. If something drops on Tuesday or even Wednesday morning, we could hit it that afternoon, yeah. and so we can have fresh uh, content by not pre-recording it. But then the last thing, I just I felt like I had to say this because we kept referencing it. So I think you know just go ahead and show our hand here. Um, this show it's it's going to be alive and therefore fresh. Uh, relevant, but it also, I think the advantage of this show is that uh, it's going to have a lot of preparation, um, a unique amount of preparation yeah. um, in the sense that uh, part of the reason why I got Michael and Wes is that they're, they're both good speakers, but they're also both uh, very knowledgeable and they're good writers. And so what I've asked them to do is that uh, they're going to alternate each week um, actually writing a 1,500-word article with you know citations and resources and quotes pulled and an outline so that uh, this Wednesday special, again, 4 p.m. Central Time, the Wednesday live stream, is uh, our arguably our most prepped show, our show with the most uh, careful, meticulous preparation. Uh, we're not going to be flying by the seat of our pants. So these guys are writing a whole episode out for us, and we're not, you know, just reading it from the script. It's a natural conversation, but a lot of research has been done, and so uh, you guys are gonna you're gonna hear good zippy one-liners that you've come to uh, know and love from Joel Webin, but you hopefully will also be. Um, hearing you know, lots of facts, uh, Michael and Wes especially bringing that. So I'll say something that hopefully, by God's grace, is true, and it usually is. God's pretty gracious, but then they'll also be able to give a citation for that. And like, well, and, and for, to go even deeper with that, or more specificity, da-da-da-da-da-da, or so-and-so said. And, and so I think it'll be, um, it'll be our most timely show, because it's a live stream. We can hit events quick, um, but it'll also be one of our most uh, prepared shows. Wes, you want to tease the topic for next week? Yeah. Topic for next week, uh, why power is not a bad thing. Why mm. evangelicals shouldn't have an allergen, a, a aversion, a put your hands up. And uh, I think one of the big reasons is because it gets you off the hook. If you're not powerful, well, nobody expects anything out of you. So tune in next week. That's great. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks.